welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemshock here alongside Stephen Trinkwald, as always. And Stephen, we are rolling right along with our second team outlook for the 2023 WNBA season. We are taking a look at the Connecticut Sun. They went 25-11 and 11 in 2022, earned the third overall seed in the playoffs. Tell us a little more, more about the Connecticut Sun. Sure. They were the uh, number one team in net rating, Eric. I think, as you had alluded to last week, a little bit surprising. Certainly didn't feel like the best regular season team in the league last year, but you know they were, once again, just a machine in the regular season. They were second in offense, uh, tied with Chicago, technically, 105.8 offensive rating, and second in defense as well, 102 defensive rating, one of just two teams in the league that were top four in both offense and defense last year. Uh, they defeated the six-seed Wings in a three-game series in the first round. Uh, before upsetting the reigning champion Chicago Sky, Eric, on uh, the Sky's home floor uh, <laughs> in the second round in five games before losing to the eventual WNBA champion, Las Vegas Aces. Stephen, who was the other team in the top four in both off? Was it Seattle? No, it was the Sky. The Sky? Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Probably should have known that. Uh, yeah, they the Sky were second in uh, offense and fourth, I believe, in defense. Spoiler alerts for next week, but... You know, Eric, this is a team that I think we typically, and, and maybe you still feel this way, but a, a team we typically kind of like grit our teeth through doing the team outlook for, one that I think is perpetually the more boring team to discuss over the offseason because, you know, it's been so formulaic and, and kind of a lot of the same uh, over the past few seasons, but I'm actually pretty interested to dive into them. I think it's it's a little bit of a different look this year, even though some things are, you know, obviously they have for basically returning starters, but still kind of a different feel, I think. They made some big changes, least of all trading a former MVP in John Cole Jones and replacing their head coach, Kurt Miller, with uh, one who has had some success in the league before, and Stephanie White, but this was, gosh, was this six years ago, seven years ago already? Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. There may have been some, uh, Connecticut maybe has grown a little stale in recent seasons, and that's taking nothing away from the sun, what they've accomplished. It actually kind of speaks to, in my opinion, their year-by-year regular season success. I mean, they've been a safe bet to get a top-four seed for a while now. Um, They've been a safe bet to advance to, like, the league semifinals every year for a while now. You know what they're going to do. They're going to be great on the glass. They're going to be pretty good on defense. They're going to beat the stuffing out of bad teams in the regular season, as you alluded to, and maybe find themselves a little bit outclassed against the very best teams in the league. But they have been, like, the best of the rest, if you want to put it that way, for a long time now. And uh, yeah, like you said, they made a few changes in the offseason, some pretty big ones. So they kind of, I don't want to call it a rebuild because the players they're retooling around are getting old, but... uh, And they're all like mainstays of the roster, right? Like so many of these teams have been through kind of the ringer with this franchise. Right, right, right. So uh, what should we talk about first here? Well, I, I think the roster in general, like I think one of the reasons that this team just always is you know, demolishing teams in the regular season or or just kind of really running it up with their net rating year over year. It's just like the depth they have at at their star big spots. You know, they, similarly to how, you know, we talk about Vegas being able to just run out 40 minutes of of good point guard play, like the Connecticut Sun can just always play a star offensive center, at least in previous seasons, you know, to where, you know, most teams' second units, they're, they're just not going to be able to guard Bree Jones or John Cole Jones or something like that. So, That's true. You know, as as much as it's, like we kind of said, you you know what you're going to get in terms of a team that rebounds the heck out of the ball. They play really great defense. They're, they're going to get out in transition as much as they can. You know, the free throw attempt rate and, and how much they put pressure on the rim and stuff like that. Like, there's just also, like, you know, year over year, like a lot of talent on this team that most teams just – can't handle especially you know when you get into like second units where you know the this this team is always just going to have a a star offensive player basically on the court you know someone to kind of give you pretty decent offensive possessions you know when there's maybe not a ton of like high-end talent on the court overall you know it's it's funny uh today i was thinking about uh, south carolina who won the sec tournament championship today so congrats to them uh we're always talking about how elite they are in the front court. Like Aaliyah Boston won uh, SEC Player of the Year, and she plays like 23, 24 minutes a game. There is no team in the NCAA Division One who can compete with the amount of depth and the amount of size that South Carolina brings because eventually opponents are going to need to play 
smaller players in the front court and they just get ground down and i feel like there are some kind of parallels to there to how connecticut has played in recent seasons because you've got john cole jones you've got brianna jones you've got Alyssa thomas there's just so much size and so much physicality up front so that you you kind of have to force other teams to meet you there to kind of play bigger than you, than you want to play just because anyone else is, is not going to be able to handle that kind of physicality for a full 40 minutes of course that formula had its had its ceiling and it wasn't a WNBA championship you know we've seen this team reach the finals twice um falling short to obviously superior teams both times but again taking nothing away from connecticut in particular so let's get to the uh the kind of changes they made for 2023 because i think uh the overall level of talent on this roster is still very very high probably not at the level of you know the the, the two teams that everyone's gonna be talking about which is las vegas and new york but still i think both of us are feeling pretty good about this on this season yeah i think so i mean you know We'll get into it, but I think this is going to be a really, really good regular season team. So they obviously lost, as you mentioned, John Quill Jones and Jasmine Thomas in trades. They uh, let Courtney Williams sign with Chicago in free agency as well. Some of the other end of the bench players, Odyssey Sims, Joyner Holmes, will no longer be on the team this year. And they, you know, for that kind of high-end starter level players that, that they lost, they replenished a lot of uh, bench depth, which, you know, losing starters for, for bench players is maybe not amazing, uh, in Rebecca Allen, Ty Harris, and Olivia nelson Adoto. But they also made the Tiffany Hayes trade, which I think is an element that we'll get to that, you know, this team has not really had all that much of uh, in terms of, you know, the amount of pressure that she can put on the rim with her athleticism. And obviously they, they do a lot at the rim, but much different than the way Tiffany In Hayes, a different way. Yeah, m- much, much different, so... So, I mean, I think the place to start is probably Bree Jones transitioning back to a starting role after winning sixth player of the year last year. You know, she did start two seasons alongside whichever of their other star big was was playing in a given season, whether it was John Quill Jones in 2021 or, or AT in 2020 in the bubble. And she, she had another really, really great season, just continued, I think, incremental improvements offensively from her year in and year out. 14 points a game last year, but, you know, basically 20 points per 36 minutes as she was playing a more limited role. And she just keeps getting better and better on the offensive end, I think. Yeah, one sixth player of the year, because that's what happens when you bring an all-star caliber player off the bench. I mean, she's the real deal. There's there's nothing else to say there. She's a player who I think, you're right, she's gotten better every season. Neither of us were very high on her back when we started this podcast. Um, gosh, was it three years ago? Almost three years ago already? But uh, she's the thing about Bree Jones is I feel like she's got very defined strengths and very defined weaknesses, but those strengths are just so obvious, and to me they're kind of understated because you know we we talk often about this po- on this podcast about how we tend to not really like post ups as a possession for several reasons right they're they're slow developing they're typically not very efficient possessions you know a lot can go wrong they're not really efficient possessions they don't your teammates don't get a lot out of it typically. Um, and there are only a few players in the league who we think are reliable post-up options to where you're like, yeah, okay, we can throw the ball down there, down there in the post to this player uh, more often than not and still get efficient offense. Out yeah, of it. so so often there are just like other play types where, you know, the numbers tell you that you're just going to get a better, a more efficient play type doing something else than posting up. Right, so if you look at who the statistically the best post-up players have been in the league in recent seasons, um, a few names are obvious. Sylvia Fowles, one of the best to ever do it. Brittany Griner, one of the best to ever do it. Tierra McCowan, I think, is another really good post-up player because she's just, if she doesn't score the basket, she's just going to get her own offensive rebound or get fouled. But Brianna Jones stacks up very, very favorably, statistically speaking, against Fowles, against Griner, against, you know, Neko Gumake, another really good post-up player. She's so efficient down there. And, you know, it, it, it kind of falls by the wayside, I think, because she's never really mentioned among these elite players post-up players granted you know she's probably not as uh good of a defensive player as, as those who i currently mentioned but i mean the results speak for themselves yeah she's really turned herself into just a, a really really solid at least in the regular season you know i think there's some some questions about the playoffs and stuff like that and you know how much of it is just going against bench players last year and then her other really outstanding post-up season where she was you know 1.3 points per possession in 2020 in the bubble where you know so many of the league's top 10 players specifically centers just good for offense too yeah good for offense and 
you know, a lot of just the highest end bigs were just not around that year. Um, but that's not to take anything away from her because she, she has, it, she's continued to have the last few years, just really great offensive seasons, 1.2 points per possession posting up. That's, elite back to the basket numbers for sure. And also 1.2 points per possession rolling to the basket. Like I think when we were doing this podcast in her first breakout season a couple years ago, you know, we were talking about how good she has developed into a post-up player and that other element of her game, you know, hadn't really rounded into form yet, but for her to develop that element as well and be able to create for herself posting up or finish plays being created for her as a roller. And, you know, she's kind of developed the jump shot as well. Like she's just so good finishing with either hand on either side of the basket. And I think one thing that makes her great, even as I may have, you know, some doubts about her just scoring post-ups against the very best post-up centers in the league, you know, that that's kind of a hard ask for anybody, but there are so few players who I think will more reliably punish getting a smaller player on them than Bree Jones. Like she just doesn't really kind of like that's true. blow that one too often. Like she's just automatic basically as automatic as any player is going to be you know getting a, a small forward or a guard kind of you know in a a panic situation and being sure to to score the ball and she just has unreal footwork she had four travels all of last year eric and with for a player of her post-up repertoire i think is just you know really incredible and, and just speaks to kind of how skilled she is down there with the ball I mean, she's got a really strong base, like ridiculously strong. It is so hard to move Brianna Jones off of her spot, no matter where she is on the floor. And you said it. She's got great footwork. She can finish with either hand. She's got soft hands. I mean, she she's really good at catching the basketball and finishing. And she's an elite offensive rebounder as well. Yeah, and I think the hands are one thing that she maybe struggled with a little bit when she was getting really limited playing time early in her career. And it's just really developed into a strength. Like, she... she just catches the ball so well and, and is able to finish it. And of course, she's an elite offensive rebounder. Third in the league again last year at 13%, which is a very good number and right in line with her career numbers. And with the development of that little, you know, 15, 16 foot jump shot that she likes to take at the elbows, it's also manifested in her her free throw shooting. Through her first four years of her career, um, she was a 71% free throw shooter, and her four years at Maryland, 67% free throw shooter at Maryland. And she was 84% at the line last year. So that that's, that's significant. Yeah, that's a serious development and, and able to really drive up her efficiency. You know, you think about how, you know, she's over 60% true shooting now, basically year in and year out. You know, you can count on that being a little bit lower if she's in, you know, the, the 70, the low 70s. Her, her with her free throw shooting like she had been you know basically eight years of her career basically you know if you include college now I think as with this team so often over the course of, of this run that that with this core I think there's there's sort of like a limit to the the upside in the playoffs with Bree Jones at least so far you know she can definitely still have have room to develop but to me at least she kind of goes regular season to playoffs from like a star offensive player to like a good offensive player. Like I, I don't, why is that? I mean, I, like I said, I, I just don't think she's really going to put up those type of numbers against the very, very best defenses, the very highest level of competition. She had a big drop in her efficiency in the playoffs for, you know, the second time in three years as a very unfavorable on off splits in the later two rounds you know, some of those numbers I think are kind of tanked by being the big on the floor with some of Connecticut's kind of hopeless bench guard lineups that, that were just not really playoff players last year, but her individual numbers kind of reflected as well. And I, I just think she doesn't have the, the best length for a post player. And basically, you know, you just look at the contenders throughout the last few years, all of those teams, Chicago, Vegas, those are the two teams that they've really kind of run into that are, I would called true contenders over the last three seasons basically like they all have an elite post defender that you know Bree Jones is gonna get the easy opportunities right and then she has the defensive limitations as well as as much as she's gotten way better than earlier in her career because she, just like offensively she has great hands defensively but against the best competition like good hands I think are not really going to make up for slow feet and Jones is just not the most laterally quick defender and 
She's only got so much to work with on that on the floor. Yeah, and, you know, uh, again, she doesn't have great explosiveness defending the rim and uh, or great length to kind of make up for a lack of explosiveness. So I think what she sort of, her limitations from regular season to playoffs, I think kind of are, are mirrored in this team's, the, the last few seasons, their limitations regular season to playoffs. And, you know, not to kind of end the sort of Bree Jones segment on a, a negative because... Like I said, she's she's turned into a really great and really complete offensive player for her archetype. You know, again, not not like a floor spacer. She's not going to, you know, hit 35% on threes or anything like that. But for what she's able to do, we're talking about a player who has really, really turned herself into a deserved kind of perennial all-star, I think, with her, her offensive game. And she earned a, uh, a nice new raise this past offseason. The Connecticut Sun cored her. Um, she took less than the Supermax, but still north of $200,000 uh, for 2023. So, again, very well earned. Speaking of, of this, Stephen, do you think Brianna Jones is the type of player now who a team could build around? Because it sure looks like the Sun may be heading in that direction. I mean, she, yeah, I think so. in some ways, you know, she strikes me as a little bit more of a, a floor raiser than a ceiling raiser. Like, I think if you have Bree Jones there's only so bad your team is going to get. So in that way, you know, a team like Connecticut or maybe, you know, Minnesota was a team that she was kind of linked to for a while. You know, if you have some other kind of competent pieces around her that are, you know, slightly above average for their position or something like that, I think you're probably going to be a pretty good team, if not an elite one. You know, I think some other teams that are like closer to the lottery, you know, maybe she doesn't really fit that timeline too much. I don't think she's going to kind of, really transform your franchise or or take a, a pretty good team to like a title contending team or something like that but you know she's she's a really really good player and, and a player that I think Connecticut is better off for obviously having kept around because what were their alternatives that's very true uh, Jean-Claude Jones requesting the trade uh, kind of forced their hand a little bit there but there are worse positions to be in um, I think we need to talk about Alyssa Thomas because she was incredible last season, statistically speaking. Uh, it was her first full season back after tearing her Achilles. She, of course, still is playing without any functioning shoulders. I don't know if you heard about that. What? Yeah, second team all WNBA, second team all defense, uh, and showed a little bit of growth in her game by actually being competent at the free throw line, which in turn raised her overall scoring efficiency. Yeah, up to 55% true shooting. And I kind of just think, you know, that that's who she is now. Like, that's where she's at in EuroLeague on, you know, kind of a similar roster, 55% true shooting. If, if she's, you know, around 73% from the line, that's where she hit last year. For all the other things that, that she does and all her other limitations, I think that's, you know, that that's probably as good as you're going to get. It, it should be noted that's still below average efficiency for, like, a premium player at that position. You know, you're thinking usually probably... 58 to 60 percent you know for like a star four or or a star big i should say but again given kind of what her her size limitations shooting limitations stuff like that 55 percent true shooting and and what she gives you on the defensive end and and kind of all the other things she brings i think are you know about as good as you can expect probably i mean we, we talk about Alyssa thomas so often on this podcast and you know she is a major part of this team's identity because she guards almost everywhere on the floor um she is capable of giving superhuman performances particularly in the playoffs by just literally never resting she's a tremendous transition player but yeah that that increase in, in free throw percentage i think is really is a positive development because she just gets there so often steven and you know i mean they used to have the strategy of opponents used to have the strategy of more or less fouling her intentionally towards the end of the game because she was going to go one for two one for two one for two oh for two one for two at the uh, at the end of every game from the free throw line, but raising that up to around low seventies, I mean that's that's a great development for sure. Obviously, I mean I am obviously a little bit biased. Alyssa Thomas is a player I'm a, a huge fan of. Like maybe I just have a harder time looking at her game objectively than some other players. But like she was always a player, especially after last year. Like I feel pretty good late in game situation. Alyssa Thomas going to the line, you know, even dating back to the 2019 playoff run that they had where. She was terrible from the free throw line in the regular season and, you know, for some reason just kind of turned it around in the playoffs and shot very, very well uh, from the line. And, and this is something that you have been saying since, you know, John Quill Jones was, you know, winning MVPs practically. Like, she is this team's franchise player, even if she's not their best player. Um, yeah. 
maybe that's a little bit more true under Kurt Miller than it will be kind of moving forward. But it certainly seems like, you know, the Connecticut Sun are going to go as Alyssa Thomas takes them, basically. What is it about the Alyssa Thomas Bree Jones combination that works? Oh, sure. Because, like, intuitively, right, Eric, like, two kind of non spacing bigs, one of them, like, doesn't really have great efficiency for her position. Like, this should not be a formula for success, but these two players, you know, they they weren't the elite combination of three big lineups, you know, for what this team had last year with John Quell, Bree Jones, and, and, uh, Alyssa Thomas, you know, they were only a 13 net rating last year rather than a the 20 net rating that John Quill yeah. and Bree Jones were together. But, I mean, a 13 net rating, you know, that that's still, I think, much better than you should expect it to be. A very, very good number. And obviously they had a lot of success in 2020 as well. So, like, you know, wh- wh- why does it work? Well, first of all, I think Brianna Jones is, her attention to detail is just really good. Um, a lot of things she does, and I don't want to sound cliche here but a lot of things she does well don't really show up in the box score for instance um she's a really good screener which i don't think you can i don't think you can undervalue that you have this as well she moves well without the basketball we you know we talked about remember we talked about vertical spacing when we were talking about shakira austin of course Bree jones doesn't have the kind of catch radius and, and, and vertical that shakira austin does but she just has that knack for positioning herself well when she doesn't have the basketball in her hands which is a main reason why she's such a good offensive rebounder And I think when you have a player like Alyssa Thomas who dictates so much of what happens on offense, you need players who just kind of have that intuitive nature about how they play offensively. I'm not saying that John Cole Jones didn't have that. Um, In in fact, it's interesting because when you bring this up, you think, okay, well, Alyssa Thomas and John Cole Jones, that's that's a much better pairing than Alyssa Thomas and Breonna Jones. But as you mentioned, the numbers didn't necessarily bear that out last season, right? So that's that's what I came up with. What, What do you have on this? Well, and to kind of piggyback off what you were just saying, like they just never seem to get in each other's way. They obviously they've been playing together <laughs> in Connecticut for. I mean, that I think that like honestly is no, a, you're right. An underrated thing for two bigs that like their scoring areas are pretty limited. Like where they're actually going to be effective with the ball, it's not like Alyssa Thomas can stand in the corner or something like that. Like it's just not going to work out very well. But like you said, they both move I think very well without the basketball. I also think Alyssa Thomas just kind of operates with the ball more in her hands than like your average power forward that's paint bound that isn't going to take threes or, or isn't going to, I guess, kind of spread the floor a little bit. Oh, she has the ball in her hands all the time. Yeah, exactly. Whereas, you know, I don't know, your average kind of run of the mill power forward is just standing in the, the dunker spot, kind of waiting for a, a dump off pass or something like that. You know, Bree Turner or something like she obviously is not handling the ball. They, they each, I think, are pretty good at beating a switch in, in different ways, like the average four can't defend Bree Jones. Alyssa Thomas is going to overpower anybody smaller and can get by most, you know, slower bigs. Obviously, the amount that they're able to just get out in transition and kind of limit the half court time that they spend each game is very, very helpful because, you know, Alyssa Thomas, is, as we've said many times, like she is a transition offense within herself. Like it's amazing just watching this team get defensive rebounds. And especially after Jasmine Thomas got hurt, like, the ball is just getting to Alyssa Thomas basically every time. Like, who's who's running the break? Okay, let's get it to Alyssa. Like, go ahead. What were you going to say? Th- that's a good point. I, you know, I hadn't considered this because if we're looking at purely, you know, net rating of these combinations, defense is going to play a part too. And defensive rebounding is going to play a part too. So I, I haven't looked at the defensive rating or the defensive rebounding numbers of those two, uh, of those combinations of two players. But I mean, if you're forcing misses and if you're clearing the defensive rebound on what 80 something percent of your possessions, yeah, you're going to have a good chance of getting out in transition and getting those easier points more often, right? Yeah, and I, you know, I think if you're just comparing this lineup versus lineups that have John Quill Jones, like they are a worse rebounding team and and probably a little bit worse. Okay, well there you go, <laughs> defensive team, but they're still like a better rebounding team than you know the average team. It's just John Quill Jones also happens to be an elite rebounder, but I think Alyssa Thomas just having enough of a drive game and enough finishing with both hands, enough passing that. She can be sort of a a non-spacer traditionally, but take up space with her off-ball space at the elbow rather than like the opposite dunker spot of wherever Bree Jones might be posting up. Um, I think that kind of goes a long way to her sort of serving as like an escape valve. You, you can't necessarily leave her completely alone because, you know, she can get downhill a little bit more. She can make that secondary pass if she catches it from that spot rather than, you know, like 
an Ezzy Magbagor, Mercedes Russell combination, like those players, they're both basically exclusively pick and roll finishers. Like that's how they're going to be efficient offensive sure. players where I think both Alyssa Thomas and Bree Jones have much more versatile offensive game. They can just beat you in, in more ways than just kind of the one thing that whether it's pick and roll or posting up, you know, we talked about how Bree Jones is, you know, basically an elite big at, at both of those areas. Um, Alyssa Thomas, obviously with her, her passing as well. And, you know, both of them being really, really good at just getting to the free throw line. And, you know, I think they have overlapping weaknesses, but because Thomas is, is more of a dribble threat to score and pass. And because Bree Jones is really just like a complete offensive center at this point, you know, they, they can complement each other's strengths with some high, low passings and some dump offs off the drive. And just obviously like a ton of chemistry from playing basically year round together for, you know, half a decade now. No, that's a really good point. I didn't consider that either. Of course, both playing over in Prague for the same team. You know, it's interesting, Steven, you don't usually see uh, American players stick with the same overseas teams for that long, but uh, Alyssa Thomas and Bree Jones have been over there for several seasons in a row now. So you, you would think that that plays a part in their in their chemistry on the court. The other thing I had about this, this may seem kind of boring, but I think there's something to it. You Sometimes you, you can do everything right defensively and the opponent still scores because they're better than you or they still draw the foul because they're stronger than you and they're more physical than you. I would be hard-pressed to find a more physical 4-5 combination in the league than Alyssa Thomas and Brianna Jones. Like, how many times have you seen Alyssa Thomas kind of get bottled up down there in the paint and still come away with free throws because the opponent just can't keep their hands off her off her arms? You know what I mean? Uh, like, it's it, it may not work intuitively, but they're both really, really good at drawing free throws. And if you put them both on the floor at the same time, they're going to create some havoc in the paint just because of how physical they are. You know what I mean? Like, I, the, again, intuitively, that may not seem like a, a good answer, but I think, realistically speaking they're going to be overpowering most front court options. Whereas, you know, John Cole Jones, for all of her gifts and all of her strengths, I think one of the criticisms we might have of her game is that she gets maybe a little too finesse sometimes with those those turnaround fadeaway two-point jump shots or whatever that are low efficiency. Brianna Jones isn't taking those shots. She is rooted to the ground in the painted area, and she's going to get hacked. Same thing with Alyssa Thomas. You know, she's very, very adept at drawing fouls. So with those two on the floor, you're probably going to have a good chance of outscoring the opponent at the free throw line as well yeah i mean they're also just both top 25 regular season players probably i do think we should maybe talk about natisha heideman taking over the starting point guard role after jasmine thomas tore her acl last season i very much was um appreciative of what we saw from natisha heideman i always kind of thought that under kurt miller natisha heideman was a little bit undervalued you know i thought there was a real case for her to be closing games in 2021 in the playoffs over Brian January just to kind of give the offense a little bit more juice like she has been the one kind of true three-point bomber the one sort of panic shooter on this team and she's at 42 percent on about 340 three-point attempts over the last two seasons including playoffs so like she's she's a legit like very dangerous three-point shooter I think that strength is only maximized when you consider what the team wants to do around her. You know, like you said, she was their best three-point shooter, what you would call their best, their only panic three-point shooter. And look at these, listen to these frequencies. I mean, they were last in the league in both handoff and off-screen frequency, tied for 11th in spot-up frequency. They were first in post-up frequency, first in getting possessions from offensive rebounds, last in isolation frequency. So that kind of gives you a good enough idea just by looking at those numbers, at those, those play types what they wanted to do last season. And I also think it speaks to just how few perimeter scoring weapons they actually had, you know, and, and whenever you have such a dearth of, of perimeter scoring, it makes that one player who is actually good at that one thing even more valuable because if you take that player off the floor, you just aren't getting those looks. You don't have that capability. So yeah, Natisha Heidman really pressed into action, pressed into a larger role with Jasmine Thomas going down. Um, two vastly different players, one more of a defensive first player, one more of an offensive first player. And yeah, as I said, Heidemann's role on the Sun last season was invaluable. Yeah. And I think, you know, she held her own, I think, as kind of quote unquote starting point guard, a player who was asked to do a little bit more initiating. Like she's not really a lead initiator. She's not, in my opinion, like a real value added passer as a point guard, but she had over a two to one assist to turnover ratio and she had 57% true shooting on over 60% of her shots coming from behind the arc, which is, it's kind of hard, Eric, when you're 
taking that many of your shots behind the arc to really get above average efficiency because it you have to really be effective from two and uh, obviously hit your threes and you're not really getting to the line that often probably. So, you know, it really speaks to kind of her offensive game and she each of her last two seasons has taken a big leap in her two-point scoring efficiency. Um, you know, granted from 2020 to 2021, it went from being terrible to just kind of like regular bad, but a huge leap in 2022 up to 46% from two. And I mean, I think it's still not the strength of her game. Like she's not a player that's going to put pressure on the rim or yeah. her dribble game is, is kind of, it leaves a little bit to be desired for, for her position. But I think, you know, Heidemann, she's she's actually a pretty decent passer from the perimeter. She, you know, she's a good entry passer. She she seems to find players on the roller pretty well. You could very easily like cut together a highlight reel of her making some pretty nice passes. And I think she's just less effective overall as a creator and as a playmaker because she's less effective actually putting pressure on the drive, forcing rotations. You know, she's less effective once she actually gets into the teeth of the defense. And she's also just less effective doing that in general, just getting into the teeth of the defense. And the other thing is that she's just a completely a one-handed passer. Like she's basically never going to make a value-added pass with her right hand. But, you know, she's a very, very good offensive player. And I think she kind of compliments the rest of these players well. I, I, I shouldn't say she compliments them well, but she benefits from playing alongside, I think, Alyssa Thomas That's a good way of putting it, yeah. and Dewana Bonner, like players who play kind of less traditional playmaking positions who can do a little bit more of the initiating. And, you know, she can do it a little bit and also really just kind of stretch the floor for those players and hit a lot of threes at a very, very high clip. But to speak to your point about, you know, rim pressure, that can be everything for a lead guard. And Heidemann is definitely not the type of player who you just set a high screen for and you let her go to work. So it's kind of interesting. How would you rank her among starting lead guards? Because you got to figure, once again, the starting point guard position is going to be hers heading into the season. But the two knocks I would have on her game, we obviously talk about her tremendous shooting ability, which is very, very valuable, particularly on this roster. But as you said, she doesn't really put much pressure on the rim. And the other thing is, I don't think she's a very good on-ball defender. Um, the Sun did win that series against the Sky, but she just could not hang with Courtney Vandersloot or most of the other Sky guards off the dribble in that series. Does she need to get better at that position, or do you think the Sun have still have enough point of attack defense for her to kind of be hidden out there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the backline defense when she inevitably gets blown by is going to be a little bit worse without John Quill Jones around. I mean, I, I think you're right. Both of those things are are a big point of improvement for her. I think it's it's kind of hard, you know, saying where she ranks among league. I mean, the interesting thing about where she would rank among league guards is, you know, four of the, I don't know, eight best point guards like play for two teams with who the Liberty have and who Vegas has. Like those, there are, true. are four great lead guards between those two teams. So if you're kind of only counting one of them, then she's definitely above average, I think, or I shouldn't say definitely above average, but she's average to above average. And if you include those, all four of those players, she's probably below average. But like, I think it's, in the right situation, like it's it's possible to have a really good offense with her as your lead guard, as they did last year. But it, yeah, I mean, she, there you go, the evidence. <laughs> she's not necessarily the one driving it. But with that being said, like I still think she, you know, I, I underrated and overrated can just be like an annoying thing to talk about. But I think she's still one of the more underrated players in the league. And you look at the contract that she got compared to some players who I think she's just like vastly more effective than. Um, this season, you know, a couple players coming from Indiana, like Kia Nurse coming off an ACL. I, I just think she's she's a much better player than those players. And, she, you know, she got basically unguaranteed money and a lower salary per year than uh, all three of those players. And, and I can't quite understand why. Right, let me try something. So Heidemann's contributions are relatively understated. How about that? Yeah, I think you is that, is that diplomatic yeah. enough? Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. All right. Very good. Um, I think we need to move on here to 2023 additions. Pretty significant overhaul here, despite the fact that the Sun have four starters returning, as you said. Some big names out, some big names in. Uh, as you mentioned, they bring in Tiffany Hayes, Rebecca Allen, Ty Harris, and Olivia nelson Adota. Departures include John Cole Jones, Jasmine Thomas, Courtney Williams, uh, as well as Odyssey Sims and Joyner Holmes, whose contracts they just kind of let expire there. So, Stephen, where do we start with this? Because even though the Sun are going to be bringing back four of their starters, you got to think their philosophy is going to look considerably different here. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to kind of talk about the bench and, and what the rotation will look like overall. But 
what do you just think of the starting five? Like, do you like this combination of players? Do you think they're going to be, I guess, you know, one of the better starting groups in the league? Yes, I do think they're going to be one of the better starting groups in the league because you're basically just swapping Courtney Williams for Tiffany Hayes in this starting lineup, right? I mean, Dewana Bonner is one year older, but I mean, you know, you're she... also swapping John Quill Jones for Brianna Jones. Well, yeah, but I'm I'm saying like we we know what Alyssa Thomas and Brianna Jones can do when they're on the court together. Like we we, we saw that, right? So. How does Tiffany Hayes complement the rest of these players relative to how Courtney Williams complemented the rest? Now, Courtney Williams did not have a good year last season. She played below her standards. Um, And Tiffany Hayes, on the other hand, was excellent last season in the minutes that she played. You know, kind of a weird situation there with her leaving (laughs) to go play uh, three-on-three basketball. Uh, But when she was on the court, she was really good. She was vintage Tiffany Hayes. Also dealt with injuries. You know, yeah, and the, dealt with injuries as well. She was, I mean, she was, I'm just saying, she's, she was on a, in and out of the lineup pretty frequently for Atlanta. So a worthy investment for Connecticut, I would say for sure. But another player who's getting up there in age. So I think the first thing I would look at is, well, we got to make sure that Tiffany Hayes and Dewana Bonner, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say we, we got to make sure because there's, no, there's no, no, nothing we can do about it. But if, for this team to compete, they need to still be athletic enough to do what they do at a high level. Yeah, and I mean Hayes, in my opinion, has looked really good uh, for Merson this year. Like, basic, I don't catch every Merson game. But she has basically every time I catch them, she is just like completely blowing by her defender and getting N ones. Like, I, I would love to know how many N ones she has in Euroleague this year. Yes, it feels like a lot. She has um, all of them. So, I mean, we we talked about it a little bit in our free agency show, but like what she brings to this group, especially lately in the last few seasons, is really kind of analytics friendly shot profile like she's gonna put pressure at the rim she's basically unguardable in her first step she has one of the best first steps in the league she's impossible to keep from getting to her left hand she finishes really well at the rim and when she's not getting at the rim she's taking spot up threes like she's not really doing a lot of kind of the operating in the in-between games but you know what she does those two areas she does really really well and you know she used to be I think a little bit more of a a pesky defender than she has been the last few years. But when she's on the court these last couple of years, especially this past year, you know, she's basically playing the best offensive basketball of her career, I think. Remember back when we first started this podcast many, 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 many years ago when the son acquired Duana Bonner. And part of it, part of why we liked it was, okay, you know, they've kind of been lacking that player who could get them a shot in a half court when the offense bogs down. And then Duana Bonner goes out and uh, doesn't really provide efficient offense for them. Tiffany Hayes can legitimately be that player. Her individual offense is always excellent because, like you said, she's going to get to the rim no matter what kind of defense is being played. And when she doesn't have the ball in her hands, she's going to take spot-up threes. So, like, no, she doesn't really have an in-between game, but on this team, who cares? Because she's going to be, you know, I mean, you're going to have Alyssa Thomas and Brianna Jones running so much anyway. So when she's got the ball in her hands, she's at the rim. When she doesn't have the ball in her hands, she's taking threes. That's what you want out of a third option on on offense right and she doesn't really take a ton of kind of tougher look threes it's not like her threes are highly contested they're not off the dribble yeah they're they're not off the dribble they're they're almost exclusively spot ups and you know for a while that was kind of a questionable shot you know not not a very high efficient shot over the first half of her career or so you know over the last two years she's she's really in the w and overseas has put together a really, you know, uh, she's turned into a pretty reputable shooter, I think. Uh, I think not so much that it, it couldn't come slipping down. Like, if she shot 33% from three this year, I don't think, you know. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, exactly. Like, she, she's not that kind of dead bang shooter, but she's just seemed to really find her stroke from out there lately. And and she's going to be taking them. Like, again, look at who she who she's replacing. Yeah, like exactly. Courtney Williams wasn't taking those threes anyway, so it's almost automatically an offensive upgrade in that regard. Yeah, and even, you know, just from like a, a points per possession standpoint, if she's hitting 33% on those threes, it's probably still a more efficient shot than hitting 38% on pull-up long twos. Yeah, so, exactly. You know, and, and she's just, she adds that element that we've said a few times now, like they just never really had that player who can really just get by their defender from the three-point line with a quick first step and get to the rim as like a perimeter player. Like obviously they get a lot of shots at the rim from Thomas and, and Jones and, you know, Dewana Bonner can get to the rim in, in her own way, but they, they've never had a, a player who can just like beat their, like blow by their defender in this way. And I think it's, it's going to be a really nice element for them. 
I think the offset is uh, the playmaking for others. Because, you know, Courtney Williams is a pretty good passer from the two position. Tiffany Hayes, that's not really her game. You know, I mean, she's going to get by people off the dribble, but she's just going to be making a beeline to the rim, which is good individual offense. But it doesn't really, like, you don't see her getting to the rim and, and kicking it cross court to the open shooter in the corner very often, right? No, she's not making advanced reads. I would say she, she's pretty comfortably, I think, a worse passer and a worse creator for others than Courtney Williams. Um, I think this team... Which is not great because how many value-added passes are on this team anyway? I mean, truly, I think you could say like Alyssa Thomas is the one player who's an above-average passer for her position, probably. Well, maybe Nelson Adota as well. Yeah, as a, a backup How much center, is she going to play, though? Yeah. yeah. But, well, you know, when you're just talking about this team gets to a five-game series and, and they're playing against an elite defense, you know, they, they don't really have a lot of above-average passers for, for their position. But I, I still think, you know, also before we move on, I... I could see a world where, like, the Hayes-Thomas-Jones combination, like, it's just a little bit too clogged maybe for her to really be the very best version of herself. Like, sure. I, I can just see, like, this this group, it, it just doesn't really click. But, again, like, for what they gave up, the number six pick for Hayes, the just the high-end talent that they brought in with that move, it, it has me pretty excited. I think this team it's a, it's a gamble they had to make. Yeah, for sure. And it is a gamble, I think, is, is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, I don't think it's a, a sure thing that all these players are going to kind of mesh well together. But the risk, I think, is minimal because you look at the number six pick in the draft. They're probably, unless someone really messes up, you're, you're probably not, not going to get a player who's going to contribute like Tiffany Hayes can contribute this season. You know, it's, we obviously are looking at next year's draft class more than we are this year's draft class. But looking at where this team is now, they're retooling. They're not rebuilding. They're, they want to go for it. So more power to them. Tiffany Hayes is going to be worth more to this team this season than whoever they would pick at number six would have been. So outside of their starting five, they brought in Ty Harris and Rebecca Allen. They also have Dijon and Carrington. You know, I think those players are all pretty much locks to be in the rotation Olivia Nelson Adota, I think they'll probably lean on her to be their third big, at least to start out with. I think that that nine is pretty much like a lock to make the team. Like maybe uh, Olivia Nelson Adota is not a lock, but I, I think I would be pretty surprised if she doesn't make the team. So then, Me too. you know, the end of the roster, we're pretty much talking about two of Nia Cloudin, Makia Herbert Harrigan, and Lauren Cox, or maybe the, the number 22 pick, but I, I doubt it. How, how do you feel about? You know, what What two of those three, I guess, would, would you be leaning towards? I'm really excited about Makia Herbert-Harrigan. You know, it's been a minute since we've seen her in the WNBA. I think Minnesota kind of took a swing on the player that they hoped she would become, and, you know, injuries, uh, unfortunately, kind of derailed that. But um, she's by far the best pure athlete of those players competing for a front court spot. And she is kind of exhibiting that, that stretch for potential that the Lynx anticipated her to uh, show all those years ago. Of course, she hasn't really gotten a chance to prove that in the WNBA for a little while, so I, I remain cautiously optimistic about her. Cox, I mean... Uh... She also, it should be mentioned, like plays the position that this team needs. Like They, they don't have a backup power forward. They don't have another yeah. player that would play the four. Yeah, she can reliably play, play the four and do things from beyond the perimeter. She's not just going to be another backup to Brianna Like You're not going to play Alyssa Thomas at the three, and uh, Herbert Harrigan at the four and Jones at the five, you know. Um, and then regarding Clowden, I, th I still think there's something there. Like, she barely played at all last season. I'm a little concerned about what she can bring defensively and how well she's going to be able to get her shot off against larger defenders. You know, she kind of gets swallowed up in the paint a little bit when she gets too deep in there without taking a good shot. But I think she does have the outside shooting ability where she can actually, you know, leverage that a little bit, kind of like Heidemann does. You know, she's obviously going to need to prove that. And maybe she doesn't have the jump shot versatility that Heidemann does, it's going to come down to, I think, how invested they are in Ty Harris. Because if you got Ty Harris and Heidemann basically splitting positions at point guard, then there's probably not much room for Nia Cloudin. But if not, how many ball handlers do you actually have on this roster? you got two. Well, 2.5, counting Alyssa Thomas. Yeah, I mean, Ty Harris is, like, protected, so she's going to make the team. It's oh, just, right, right, right. Okay, my bad. Uh, I guess it's just a matter of how much they they play her, but okay. So how much are they playing? Yeah, I, I guess I feel a little worse about Clouden than I did going into the season last year, just because her size does seem to be a little bit of a, a limiting factor, and it was always going to be a limiting factor in her rookie year. But I just think, 
she didn't really show the ability to do too much inside the arc and I think that pathway might be pretty tough to be to Oh, hang on a second, hang on a second. I completely forgot something. She actually suffered a stress fracture playing overseas recently. I oh, think it was like nice. 3 or 4 months ago, but that's it's still a yikes, right? You're right. So is she going to be healthy? I guess that's the next question. Cuz she's not currently playing overseas right now. So not a great sign. Yeah, that's not great. Um, not great. No, that's it's it's unfortunate. Uh I I think, you know, I I kind of I think there's a pretty good chance Lauren Cox makes the team. I, I think there's a good chance that she's better than Makia Herbert Harrigan. But if if Herbert Harrigan is the one that makes the team, then I, I think that would suggest meaningful improvement from probably the last time we saw her in the league two years ago. So her making the team, I think, would be pretty encouraging. I don't know. I think the Sun need what Herbert Harrigan can theoretically bring more than they need what Cox can theoretically bring. Yeah, I not, agree. I agree. Because, you know, neither player has really hit that potential that they've alluded to. Cox in particular, man. I mean, I mean, I was really high on her entering her rookie season, and she just didn't show it. It's an interesting discussion, though, because like, I mean, there are no, there's no clear-cut winner here. Strengths and weaknesses. Um, strengths, as expected, they're going to get to the free throw line a ton, maybe in some different ways. Like as you said, Tiffany Hayes is going to put some pressure on the rim in a way that they didn't really have before. But I mean, you look at the f- career free throw rate of some of these players: Bonner point three seven four, Bree Jones point three nine five, Tiffany Hayes point four four two. Alyssa Thomas, 0.456, just absurd free throw rate numbers. Yeah, that's a lot of options to get you to the line as well. You know, so many of these teams that will give average to above average or even very good uh, free throw rates, you know, they're basically banking on kind of one or two players to do that. So for for this team to have four of their, you know, heavy rotation players to be, you know, basically above a 35% free throw attempt rate is uh, pretty good. I would imagine that will be a strength. Uh, I think they have some lineup optionality now if they want to go small with maybe like Bonner or Carrington. You know, they can close with Rebecca Allen, who we didn't really talk about, over like Hayes or Heideman if they just need a little bit more either reliable shooting in, in the case of Hayes or a little bit more defense and length in the case of Heideman. You know, Allen, I think, is a, if she is able to kind of get back to form and, and get back her health, that could be a pretty nice uh, addition, just another option out there. Do you think Stephen um, Stephanie White would play Atlasa Thomas at the five? Hmm. I mean, I would like to see it, but I I feel like there's there's more of a chance that they go small with when Alyssa Thomas is out of the game than okay. go really small with Alyssa Thomas in the game. Like I could see maybe a Bree Jones second unit with either Bonner or Carrington at the four more than Thomas at at the five. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're probably right. I'm just thinking about what she excels at and like. We, we talk so often about um, Alyssa Thomas not really getting guarded by opposing centers or getting guarded by opposing centers because she doesn't have really anything to do beyond the free throw line. But if they kind of turn it around on them, I mean, they could create some real havoc on defense with a really small lineup like that. But I, I mean, I will say like John Quill Jones is a better player than Bree Jones, but the I'm going to put my power forward on their center and have my center guard Alyssa Thomas. Like that doesn't work with Bree Jones. Like that, that just, that's true. That, that is the thing of the past. I think with this lineup configuration, transition play will definitely be a strength. Obviously they have Alyssa Thomas who is transition. Uh, yep. They have Tiffany Hayes. They have Dijanae Carrington, who's probably best WNBA skill at this point is getting out and running. And, and I think she's very, very good and very valuable at doing that. They'll definitely be a good offensive rebounding team, Eric. They still have Bree Jones. And I think one player can make you a positive offensive rebounding team more than one player can make you a positive defensive rebounding team. And I I think Bree Jones just impacts offensive rebounding a little bit more than defensive rebounding, even though I think she's a good team defensive rebounder and, and impacts that in a positive way, even if she doesn't grab a ton of boards. But I think they'll, they'll take a step back defensive rebounding I don't think it'll be a weakness for them, but I'm not sure they'll be like among the very best teams in the league. You can't replace John Cole Jones' defensive rebounding. Like she's just one of the best in the league at that full stop. Especially with an undersized four, I think. Yes. Um, so, but again, I think they'll still be good on the offensive end. Uh, I think they'll still force a ton of turnovers, you know, based on their personnel. Uh, I don't know if Stephanie White will bring the same defensive philosophies that will cause those turnovers, but Dewana Bonner, Alyssa Thomas, Bree Jones, Rebecca Allen, a lot of indicators point to them like forcing a ton of turnovers. Uh, you know, Stephen, this is kind of like when um, Noel Quinn took over for Dan Hughes in Seattle, and we were wondering like, oh, is she going to keep those same aggressive defenses? Why not? 
You know, I, I highly doubt Stephanie White is going to look at this roster and look at the past results and say, yeah, we were really good forcing turnovers last year. We're, do- we're going to stop doing that. And I mean, those fever teams always forced a ton of turnovers under Stephanie White, but they also had like maybe the it's greatest, catching, so it's, yeah, the greatest yeah. turnover forcing player in WNBA history. I mean, just, uh, you know, hedging ball screens, getting the ball out of the ball handler's hands, forcing pressure at the ball screen. I think Alyssa Thomas and Bree Jones are both among the best bigs in the league. Like both of their strengths in terms of like, how do you want to play pick and roll is putting pressure on the ball, using their hands, using Thomas's. Uh, athletic ability like they're they're much more like hedge hard hedge players than they are like drop players uh and i think that that's going to continue to be like a pretty big strength for them and, and will of course play into them forcing a lot of turnovers as well weaknesses um we already talked about playmaking but i think we need to touch on that again uh they just don't have a lot of good passers on this team you're not going to see natisha heideman passing people open you're not going to see tiffany hayes passing much at all i think you know ty harris is a She's a decent passer. She's a safe passer. She's more of like, as we as we, we like to call her a game manager, which is neither a strength nor a weakness. But when you look at it in the overall offensive, uh, what's that term you like to use? Uh, offensive ecosystem. She's not going to be adding too much with her passing ability. I mean, um, she, she's a better passer than Natisha Heidman, but she's the same type of like really great assist to turnover ratio player more because she never turns it over than she's like driving a ton of assists sure. you know what i mean sure um, and i think if ty, i think if ty harris ends up driving a lot of offense on this team that means something else went wrong that's probably true yeah you know? i mean just pick and role play in general they i think jasmine thomas you know is not a perfect offensive player but was a pretty good pick and roll uh, initiator pick pick and roll passer courtney williams i think is at her best as a playmaker when she's being used in the pick and roll and, and can find uh, the roller specifically, I think are some of her best moments as a passer, you know, just lead initiating from the guard spots in general. Like I, I, those aren't really the type of players that they have now, as well as, as we've said, collective passing, like they, they don't have an above average passer for their position outside of Alyssa Thomas, I think. And they have a handful of players in their rotation who are, you know, non-existent passers, basically. Rebecca Allen, Tiffany Hayes, Dijanae Carrington, like those players are basically never going to get, you know, a really value-added assist. And, you know, Brianna Jones, for as excellent as a post-up player as she is, she doesn't really generate a lot for her teammates off of post-ups. And now that's not necessarily a bad thing, because as we said, if you are getting, if you're scoring 1.2 points per possession or higher when you're posting up, just just shoot the ball. Just shoot the ball. But at the same time, you know, if they're really investing a lot in a post-up offense, it does kind of make the offense a little bit more predictable if there's never anything happening out of that post-up besides a shot. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's an area of her game I'd like to see some growth in. I think there's some potential there because I don't think of her as like a bad passer or like a black hole when she gets the ball. But you're right. She doesn't do a lot of, um, I guess, diming people up from the low post. This is an unfair comparison because there's no one like Brittany Griner, but Brittany Griner is the best post-up player maybe the league has ever seen, you look at how scared teams are of Brittany Griner in the post. It's an instant double team, and then she'll just survey the defense and drop it off to the cutter. Granted, Bray Jones isn't six foot eight, but she just doesn't create that kind of opportunity for her teammates. Yeah, it helps when you like don't have to be rushed because you can pass over the top of any other player. Yeah, which I, I yeah don't it must be Jones nice. It must be nice. I think they're going to be terrible shooting off the dribble just in general. They were terrible shooting off the dribble last year, uh, and a lot of that was was Courtney Williams, of course, but Dewana Bonner, 42nd percentile on dribble jumpers. Rebecca Allen is like one of the starkest differences in the league between catch and shoot and dribble efficiency. They just don't really have a lot of players, as we said, to kind of operate in that in-between area. Like Dewana Bonner is really their one player that can, I guess, you know, get into the the in-between space and and I don't want to say get a tough basket because it's probably going to miss, but... She'll take a tough shot. Attempt a tough shot. Yeah, exactly. It won't go in, but... They're, I think, still a little tight on floor spacing, like really only one grade-A shooter in the starting and probably closing lineups, uh, particularly in bench lineups. Like They don't really have one big on this roster who can space the floor and kind of give you a different element without going small and probably sacrificing your rebounding and, and your defensive integrity. And I think the, the Alyssa Thomas and Bree Jones combination can overcome that, like we talked about, 
as well as basically any combination of non-shooting bigs can. But but how do the other combinations overcome it? And I think that'll be sure. a little bit of a challenge. Uh, you know, Lauren Cox has has shot all right uh, for Valencia. Uh, you know, thirty five percent on 162 attempts in 37 games. So 35% on basically four attempts a game. Uh, we'll see how much that translates. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. And they also just don't have a ton of movement shooters. You know, Heidemann, I think, is their one player with, with some versatility to her, her shot. The one player that can do a little bit more than just kind of hit a standstill three. Oh, okay. I, I guess that's pretty much it for her strengths and weaknesses, right? I'm sorry, did you mention, like, the age? Oh, yeah. I mean, that is definitely a big, big cause for concern. Like there are not a lot of candidates on this team. I think who you could expect to be better than they were last year. Like maybe Heidemann keeps getting better. Bree Jones has improved each year, but like how much more of a leap can she make? And then the other players like Carrington, Nelson Adota, Cloudin, Ty Harris, like they can all improve, but like none of these players you expect to be super high impact contributors outside of maybe Carrington as a bench wing. But on the other side of it, you know, a few major candidates for regression. Tiffany Hayes will be 34 in September with a game very much predicated on athleticism, being able to finish oversize. And, you know, we know the injuries that she's dealt with over the past couple of years. Dewana Bonner, I think we didn't really talk about her too much and, and we kind of give her a little bit of a hard time. She did have her best season in a Sun uniform last year and her best moments in the playoffs in a Sun uniform last year, for sure. Uh, it's the usage efficiency correlation we talk about with her so often. And she'll be turning 36. Like when things are going bad for her, like she can be pretty actively damaging for your own team, you know, with the, the grifting attempts and the decision-making and taking some really bad shots. You know, it's not like she just kind of loses some effectiveness. I think she, she really can do you some harm. Alyssa Thomas, you know, can always drop back down in efficiency with some poor free throw shooting. Uh, I, I, She's still very much in her prime athletically and, and defensively, but you know the the efficiency I think can always get down. Really, Hayes and and Bonner in the starting lineups are the two that you think like you know the wheels can just kind of fall off at any time. Okay, so with that, I think this is a good segue into my final question for you here. I think we both agree that this is going to be a really good basketball team, and they're probably going to be among the best of the rest if you consider the the Aces and the Liberty to be the favorites for a championship heading into this season. I think the Sun are a good candidate for a three or four seed if all goes well for them. What's the ceiling of this team look like, though? Because they made some changes. They are still undoubtedly a very good team, a very talented team. But looking at how last year's, or, or not even last year's, but the, the Sun core, including John Cole Jones and Jasmine Thomas, it, it just kind of, I think, hit its ceiling last season. Um, we're well aware of Alyssa Thomas's ability to just will her team to a playoff victory. But is there anything that separates this team from the last few iterations of the Sun that makes you feel more confident about maybe pulling an upset over one of the top teams? Or are they just, you know, strictly third or fourth best team in the league, no real chance for a championship? What do you think? Yeah, I think it was more kind of mitigating the damage of losing an MVP. Like, I don't think there's really any chance that they are a better team than they were last year, have a better outcome, make it further in the playoffs, or, you know, win a championship, anything like that. I think, you know, there's also a decent chance that I, I kind of view them as the fourth best team. I think they might be a little bit worse than Washington. Uh, Washington just has, you know, a, a true dead bang superstar, like a top five player in the league and decent enough players are around. And I think that that can go a long way. But I don't really see an upside that's higher than last year. More just like, OK, we lost this amazing player like how can we kind of stay in the same neighborhood and i think they can stay in the same neighborhood so like it's it would be easier to just kind of stay afloat rather than tear everything down and and try to rebuild yeah i mean you still have uh dewana bonner and Alyssa thomas that on deals for this season you know i i understand why this team wanted to just not go through a complete rebuild and you know focus on tanking for caitlin clark or something like that like i i, I guess yeah, that's true but even that being said, like, I think there's, even with good health, like, I think there's some downside potential for this team as well. Like, I can definitely see a world where everyone on the roster, basically, is just, like, a half step worse than they would be in their most, like, optimized situation. You know, Hayes, like we mentioned, maybe just not a perfect fit alongside the the two non-shooting bigs and Dewana Bonner, who doesn't, you know, space the floor great. You know, Bonner herself, maybe a little bit overtaxed as, like, a playmaker because this team kind of lacks it in the other areas, you know, the Thomas and Jones combination, you know, maybe that just doesn't work as well outside the bubble as like a full-time starting group. So I, I can just see a world where the half-court offense just doesn't click 
and the defense is not like elite enough to make up for that. And this team ends up being closer to like a six seed than a three or four seed, even if I like on paper kind of what they put together. I like Stephanie White. Like I'm happy that she's back coaching in the WNBA. I think I would just have more confidence in this team being like a top four seed. Like I would, I would feel comfortable betting on it. Like I would say book it if Kurt Miller was still the coach, just because he had the formula for this group. Like he just understood how to maximize this group's strength and minimize their weaknesses. And I don't know, maybe he wouldn't have made the Tiffany Hayes trade and they would be starting, I don't know, Alyssa Thomas at the two or something, you know, you never know. But, you know, I I think White, you know, Stephanie White, I I was not a full-time WNBA observer back when she was a head coach. I've watched a fair amount of those uh, fever teams, you know, in the last few years. But there's a good chance that, that she hits the ground running, just adds some new elements, kind of makes it a little bit more modern. But the familiar, I think here, I would be a little bit more comfortable with just in terms of like, what is this team going to do in the regular season with a coach that just knows how to work the regular season, it seems like, right? All right. Well said. I think that's going to do it for us, right? Happy to, uh, looking forward to talking about my team next weekend. Or not. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Um, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, which we always appreciate, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at Double Down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Nemchak E or myself at Trinkwald. And the next time you hear from us, as Eric mentioned, we'll be uh, talking about the Chicago sky. All right. Get excited, everybody. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon.